0: I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, We're covering all chapter 7, but for today, uh, the core passage is 17 through 24. Paul writes, However that may be, let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned, to which God called you. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but obeying the commandments of God is everything. Let each of you remain in the condition to which you were called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Even if you can gain your freedom, make use of your present condition now more than ever. For whoever was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed person belonging to the Lord, just as whoever was free when called is a slave of Christ." You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of human masters. In whatever condition you were called, brothers and sisters, there remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, one more time, warm welcome for Mr. Roberts.
1: Wow. Who is he talking about anyway? Hey, uh, just such, such a privilege to be here. I uh, am just so moved by this church uh, I'm just so moved by the core group and the tremendous work that you do. Um, very, very impressed. Uh, this is such a bond, it's such a unity of the community, as I call it. Uh, watching uh, Sam and, and Nancy, you know, uh, the, the leadership that they provide, quiet leadership, and looking at them as a couple, you know, we're going to be talking about m- marriage and uh, seeing, uh, you know, Sam and Nancy, Zen and Riley. Uh, uh, Jordan and Jen, you know, just just seeing so many and seeing that they're different, but they're so committed to each other. And that's what Paul was talking about today. But, you know, I got to tell you, this information that we have, you know, it could be, a, it could be two, we could be in here two hours, but fortunately, uh, it's just going to be about a one hour, you know, just kidding. Um, yeah, you thought, I thought Caleb wasn't preaching this morning. Uh, <laughs> But, but, man, I love, I love this church. I see it growing. I see it thriving. And, um, you know, trying to preach on this for a short time, is very difficult. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if anybody knows Martin Lloyd-Jones, you got you to gotta listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know, they say that he was a, the second Spurgeon. Tremendous, tremendous, uh, uh, a doctor, a medical doctor that became a pastor. And he took the book of Romans, and I was telling somebody, just Romans 8, one year one-hour sermons and teachings one year just Romans 8 and he'd take two two verses and he'd preach a one-hour sermon on two verses brilliant and here I've got all these verses and and then the the subject matter and I got to do it within a short frame short time frame so pardon me if I go all over the place because my notes are everywhere but uh just want to first of all start to and talk to you before we do that I just want to I just want to pray I just want to pray to my Lord and Savior and ask that he bless his words here and that they not be mine. Father, we're just so grateful, Lord, for this beautiful day. I'm so grateful, Lord, for this beautiful body of believers that are here to learn and to grow in you and to desire you. Lord, I pray that your words be spoken here and not my own. That your message reached to everyone, Lord. That something be said today that will trigger a desire in us to grow ever closer to you, Father. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross for us when we didn't deserve it, Lord. Lord, and and as your word says, and speaking of Romans 8, as your word says, if if you gave us your son, won't you also give us all things freely? We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that wants to bless his children as we are submitted to you and obedient to you, Lord. Father, see to the needs that we have right now. Those needs to grow in you, Lord. We just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the context of it, the the way it was written. And I got to tell you, it's interesting because Paul is responding to a letter. We don't know what the letter is. We don't know what they were asking him. But this is the situation in Corinth at the time. And it wasn't much different than any other place, you know. Uh, some people trying to quote that it was so much worse in, in Corinth that it wasn't. It was, it was what, what it was. But Corinth, the, the culture there, believed that if you're an adult, you're supposed to be married. So a high, high, high percentage of people at that time were married. And so if you weren't married, uh, that was bad. That was bad. Uh, if a young lady wasn't married, then she was just considered a prostitute, even though she wasn't, she could be a virgin, she could be you know just celibate completely, but they she, they, they would consider her a prostitute because she wasn't married. That's the culture. Let me tell you it, it was even worse. if you got divorced and I'm sorry, if you got if you were widowed, if you lost your spouse, you had two years to marry, or else you would be fined. And in that it, it, so Paul comes into that situation, and he, say, as he says things like this, he says that, um, that, some, that, that even though some believe that, that being married, let, uh, let me give you a little bit more, I told you I have my notes are everywhere, some believe that even married Christians should abstain from sex, that was one of the beliefs, if you're married you should abstain from sex, why? Because you can be more spiritual, the Gnostics believed that if you didn't have sex you would be more spiritual, I don't know if you watched Seinfeld, but there was a whole episode on that one time. Some of you know what I was talking about. Um, but Paul rejected all that. And remember, Paul was a pragmatist. Paul was, was celibate. You know, historians tell us that he was never married. He was single. So he would like to go over there and say, hey, you need to be like I am. But what he really said was, be where God wants you to be. If you're married, don't seek to be divorced. If you're single... Don't seek to be married. Be happy where you are. If you have the gift of celibacy and singleness, then stay where you are. Don't, don't fall into this world and what they're demanding of you. You do what God tells you to do. That's what he was saying. He's saying, oh, and, and he also said other things like, um, he said, it's better, but if, if you can't, it's better to be married than to burn. Burn. Better to be married than to burn. And he said, uh, some believe that in order for you to be more spiritual, you had to get divorced. That's, that's what the, the, some of the, the belief in the church was that. That if you got divorced, then you could be alone with God, and then you'd be more spiritual. But then Paul comes along and says, well, if you do that, you can't get married again. So if you change your mind, that's, that's it, buddy. That's it, young lady. That's it. And so into all that, let me just tell you in short I've been able to kind of concept, uh, just reduce this into a synopsis here. In short, Paul says, It's okay not to marry. Because the culture said, You have to be married. Paul said, No, 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 no. You, you don't have to be married. It's okay. And the church said, You don't have to be married. You can stay single. That's okay. And then he said, If you, if you marry, if you have to marry, then marry. That's okay too. But you're going to have troubles. He said that. He said, You're going to have troubles. You know, he had no idea. Um, <laughs> By, by the way, my wife told me to say this before I got started, but I forgot. Uh, you know, as you get older, you forget things. But my wife said, you know, if I'm going to speak on marriage, I just have to point to her and drop the mic and walk off. <laughs> I, I was telling somebody the other day, hey, you know, uh, I've, been, I've been married uh, 25 wonderful years. And he said, wait a minute, you've only been married 25 years? I said, no, I've been married 40. Um. But he says, stay where you are and be happy with it. This is another thing that he said, and I, this is just a sidebar. This is the way I think, so please forgive me. He says, your body is not your own. He say, he says, husband, your body is your wife's. And wife, your your body is your husband's. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know, we all automatically think, you know, the husband says, hey, go on. You know, we're going to have an intimate moment here. Your body's mine. And, you know, that kind of thing, that's the way men think. But think about this. Think about if you're going to have, if you decide you're going to have, you want to have an affair at work, you have to go, gentlemen. You have to go to your wife and say, hey, listen, uh, there's this cute chick at work, you know, she's been kind of coming on to me. And I was wondering maybe if you could release uh, me to go be with her since it's your body. Can you imagine if that happened? Do you you, you picture that? It's crazy. Somebody's laughing over there going, oh, yeah, that wouldn't be crazy. (laughs) Divorces would drop down to next to nothing if we did that because your body is not your own. And remember that. But let let me just get into talking to the singles. First of all, you know, we're going to talk to the singles. If you're single, that's cool. But let me advise you against this. Do not go around thinking that there's a person out there that's going to fulfill you. Do not go thinking that there's a person over there that's going to fulfill your ideas. You know, that's going to complete you. Remember that movie, You Complete Me? There's not a person out there that can do that. There's a term for that. You want me to tell you what that term is? It's called idolatry. You are setting somebody else up above God, and that's called idolatry. You are to submit yourselves to God and say, God, what do you want from me? Do not go out trying to find the right person. Do everything that you can before God to become the right person. And you will find somebody God wants to do the best that he can for you. If he didn't even give up his own son but gave him up freely, won't he also give you all those needs? God knows what you need before you ask. He's got. The the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. God's got it. Trust in God. Grow with God before he can. Because God doesn't want you to go into a marriage unprepared. God doesn't want you to go into a marriage not fully understanding what God has for you to be the person that the other person needs. God knows all that. So you have to wait patiently on God, and God will provide. Patience is a a virtue here. But let me tell you a story. If you get the wrong person, Charles Swindoll told this story, and I think it's very interesting. There was a guy that was totally in love with this opera singer. I mean, she was the one, the one, the one. And he followed her. Every time she was in concert, he would be there. He would pay. He didn't care how much money he had to pay to, see, to to hear her sing. He was there, and one day he got the courage to ask her out. And he takes this beautiful, this woman that sings so beautifully that captivates his heart. takes takes her out. Short, short whirlwind romance. He marries her, and the night of their honeymoon. Don't worry, I'm keeping it PG. The night of their honeymoon, um, as she's getting ready, she takes off her wig. And she's got problems. She's only got like 20 hairs growing up here. <laughs> and he looks at her and then he says, then she takes off her, she had one uh, false eye, takes takes that out. Then she takes off her, um, her false teeth to reveal missing teeth. And she smiles at him through, you know, those few teeth that she has. And she says, okay, let's get it over with. And he looks at her. And he says, "Sing, woman! For God's sake, sing!" She's an opera singer. That's what he fell in love with. Well, you know, it's funnier when Charles Swindoll told that. But, but to you, let me let me give you some advice. This is great advice, and I heard this from a guy from South America, and and I've 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 uh, had uh, my sons apply it, and uh, one in particular, the one who lives in Dallas. But it's called love in mathematics. Love in mathematics. Anybody here love in mathematics? Anybody? Yeah, so yeah, I want you to do this if you're single and you and you want to be married, take a take a piece of paper and a pen and get on your knees before God and say, God, show me the person that you that you want me to 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 marry, and start writing down things like sense of humor, you know, very pretty, you know, I'm talking about the guys, uh, you know, uh, a Christian. Wants to have children, start writing them all down. And then, and keep that list with you all the time. And so, then when you're sitting in an Italian restaurant, kind of like dimly lit, you know, you're smiling at each other across the table, your heart starts pounding, you know, you get all these nerve endings going crazy. And, you, you, you know, you pull out that list and you look at it, and if she doesn't add up to that, check, please. That's what you do. You run away. If you and God came up, you know, God directed you on something, why would you want to change that? Because you have this, you know, biological thing going on in, in your heart, in your body. No. God will direct you. Now, let me talk to the Marys for a little while. And we're going to put up Ephesians 5, 521 through 25, please. And uh, Ephesians 5, uh, this is, I love this, this scripture because it automatically riles up a bunch of people. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. Now, I can uh, I can hear this, you know, this Americanized kind of thinking about this and saying, well, you know, I'm a woman, I'm not, I don't submit to anybody except your boss at work. Uh, I don't submit to, to anybody except the policeman that pulls you over that happens to be male. We We have roles. We have roles. Have you ever thought that, in America and other countries that have a Christian, uh, raised under Christian principles, grown under Christian principles, that those are the most free women in the world? This is not a me, Tarzan, you, Jane kind of thing. I was at a Bible study one time. Uh, I was leading a Bible study one time, and we got to talking about this. And one guy raised his hand, and he says, I think the church, a friend of mine, till this day, uh, he says, I think the church should teach women that they need to submit. And I said, well, you know, let's call him Bruce. It's not Bruce. I said, uh, Bruce, um, that verse is not written to you. It says wives submit yourselves to your husbands. It's The the verse that's re- written to you is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, don't be reading somebody else's mail. And he goes, well, I teach my wife to submit, and without thinking... I go, "How's that working out for you?" <laughs> Silence in the room. He was divorced six months later. His wife couldn't stand him any longer. Um, that same guy, before he got divorced, came to me after church one Sunday, and he says, "You know?" And he brought it up. He says, "I'm the leader in my house." I said, "Bruce, you're the leader in your house?" And he goes, "Yes, I'm the leader in my house." I said, well, let me ask you this. If you're the leader, do you, sh- uh, do you lead in showing love? Do you lead in showing forgiveness? Do you lead in showing compassion? Do you lead in showing sacrifice? Uh, 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 y- yes, yes, I do. He didn't. It's difficult. The, the difficult part on this is for men. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you have any idea how Christ loved the church? Have you really thought about what Christ did? Look at, uh, look at Philippians chapter, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And I know it's up here in the NIV, but I'm going to, I've got to memorize. So um, it, it's difficult for me to kind of translate from the New King James to this. But it says, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because He was God? But He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself. He humbled Himself and took on the form of a bond servant, and was obedient even to the death on the cross. There's a lot of there's a lot that we can gather from that. But gentlemen, uh, gotta check my time. But gentlemen, it's important that you follow, that you lead your family as Christ did. What, what did Christ do? Let's just look at some of these things real quickly. Um, now, when, when I talk about Jesus, and I love to talk about Jesus about this. You know, the Bible says in, in, uh, in John chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You look at Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, created the earth. That same person that created the trees and the, and the light and the DNA and everything submitted himself, he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. Jesus Christ said in Mark 10.45, I believe, uh, yeah, 10.45, he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Does that reflect you as a husband? Do you anticipate doing that once you get married? Serving? Are you going to lead in, serv- in, in serving? Is, is that your calling? Do you recognize that Jesus did that, and that's what, what you're called to do? Look at some of the things that Jesus did. He said, well, he was a servant. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, humbled himself and took on the form of a bond servant. You know what a bond servant is? A bond servant was somebody that, uh, like an indentured servant for, for six years or so, and at the end of the six years, he goes to, he goes to his master, and he says, you know, I know I know that today's my last day, but I want to serve you forever. And they would take him and put an earring in his ear. Put a yeah, they would poke a hole in there and put like a wooden earring in his ear that, and everybody that saw it said, "Oh, he's a bondservant of so and so." Jesus did not know anything to anybody, but he became a bondservant for you and me. Husbands, you are to be a bondservant to your wife. Does that look does that sound like that me Tarzan? You, Jane. I'm the leader. I'm the boss. You do what I tell you to do. Nothing like it. If you look at the scriptures, uh, Christ sacrificed. Men have to sacrifice for their families. I saw a quick story of I am prey, where this guy fought off a bear that was going to kill his wife and child, and nearly killed him. Took chunks of muscle out of him and everything. But he was determined. As he, he was saying that they were that that bear, huge bear, was not going to was not going to hurt his wife. And uh, child. Jesus said this, follow me. He told Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, if any man wants to be my disciple, he must uh, deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me daily. Follow me. Let me ask you, and then Paul, Paul, of all people said, be imitators of me. Let me ask you, would you, once you're married, if, if you're not married, or if you're married, is your family better off or worse off? By following you. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard question that I ask myself. Are my family better off with my conduct, with the, way I, with the way I lead. And if the answer to that is no, then I need to get on my knees. I need to open up my Bible. I need to find out what God's calling, what God's direction is in my, in my life. Um, what about compassion? God was, Jesus was so compassionate. He had compassion on, on, uh, on the sick. He had compassion on the poor. He had compassion. We need to lead as men. We need to lead, lead as uh, in compassion and forgiveness. Forgiveness—that's a—that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. Uh, if you're not, if you're not married, you got to realize that—that's a tough one because we have such an ego, we have so much pride, and it's so hard for us to forgive. Um, men of, Jesus was a man of prayer gentlemen, and, and let me take a sidebar here, I have, uh, God's called me to this, I've been I've been teaching and training men for a long time, for a long time, for years, and, uh, you know, God loves me enough to let me get by with sometimes, you know, just crazy, uh, while I'm correcting my doctrine, while I'm getting it right, and God's been faithful to me, and I've seen God move in the lives of a lot of people. Uh, the problem was that I used to say that I had, uh, you know, I have I have compassion for discipling men. But at one time I said, uh, I have a passion for men. And, um, of course, uh, the unfortunate thing was I said it in front of Seth. <laughs> and, um, and of course, uh, it was probably an earshot of Caleb, too. And uh, they've never let me forget about that. Oh, Dad's got a passion for men. Um, but but Jesus was a man of prayer. It's The Bible says that Jesus spent the whole entire night in prayer. Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. Anybody here spend the entire night in prayer? Anybody here? Anybody want to brag about it? We got one brother over here. Praise God. That means the rest of you are better than Christ. You don't need, as, you know, you don't need God's direction as much, which includes me. I've never been spent the night in prayer. But Jesus was a man of prayer. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a man of prayer being single? Are you a man of prayer being married? You want to be like Jesus, you know? You want to love the, your wife as Christ loved the church? Then get on your knees. We need to get on our knees. Um, defender. God was a defender. And you know what? I'm telling you, man, God God made us for a reason. We're bigger and stronger. Men are bigger and stronger, and they're defenders of their wife. What would you really, just, you know, for the sake of brevity, remember the woman that was caught in adultery and they were about to stone her? Man, I, I love that story because I can just see, Jesus, they're about to stone her, and Jesus walks. She's she's on her knees getting ready to be stoned, and Jesus walks up and stands in front of her to defend her. And then he says, let, let you that is without sin cast the first stone. That's the defender. That's the defender in Jesus. Uh, are you the defender? That God's called you to do that. Let me, let me tell you one thing, and I'm going to read to you a story, just tell you a little bit about, you know, the, the relationship in a, in a marriage. You guys ever heard of Katharina Luther? Anybody hear Katharina Luther? Man, you got to read her story, man. She's one of my my heroes, man. Katharina Luther, and I'll, I'll tell you the story this way. It was about uh, mid-1500s, 1500s, and there's this horse-drawn carriage, you know, you can, you can hear it, you know, cobblestone streets, you know, it's, uh, it's a wagon. And it's got 12 fish barrels in it. And it's the middle of the night. Everybody's asleep except twelve nuns at this convent. And in the middle of the night, they sneak out and get in those in those fish barrels, and they go to safety. Katharina von Boer had been un, had been in that convent since she was five years old. She was now twenty four, and uh, they had these uh, guys, the delivery guys, would sneak in flyers, pamphlets about the Reformation. And one of the guys that organized uh, that that freedom of those those nuns was Martin Luther. And the uh, the 12 12 nuns that came out, three of them were released back to their families. Eight of them, they arranged marriages. Martin Luther was like matchmaker, matchmaker. Uh, And he arranged marriages for them. And what happened was he, he arranged marriage for all of them except one, Katharina. Katharina von Bohr. And the, she said, she, they were trying to match her up with somebody else. And she told somebody else this. She says, I, I'm not marrying anybody. I'm not marrying anybody unless Martin Luther asks me and then, then I'll consider it. That was unheard of at the time. And, you know, of course, Martin Luther said no way! I'm single. I got things to do. I got, you know, people threatening me with murder. The Catholic Church is after me. I don't know how long I'll live. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll never marry a woman. They were engaged about three, three months later. Uh, <laughs> typical man. Uh, and so, it was, it was the weirdest thing. This woman, they were totally not compatible. They were both stubborn, obstinate. You know that kind of thing, but they—but it was the marriage that everybody said was a, was the example of what a marriage should be. You know that Martin Luther said that men should change diapers. Unheard of at the time. Not only should they change diapers, they should take that soiled diaper. Remember, they didn't have Pampers back then, and and wash it and hang it. They should wash dishes. They should do chores around the house. What? What? I'm the man. I don't do stuff like that. It's like my anyway. But that was, Catherine, there's a thing called Table Talk. You ever heard of Table Talk? It was a book written uh, about the quotations that people received from Martin Luther and others during this Table Talk. And the Table Talk was a a bunch of scholars, a bunch of young uh, theologians gathering together at, at Martin Luther's house to discuss theology and all these kinds of things. And it was Catherine that made all the food for them every Friday night. And the historians tell us that it was probably her idea on this table talk. Now, if you look at R.C. Sproul, they he's got a section in his uh, in his in his website. It's called Table Talk. It's based on that. But it was Katharina. Katharina. The first thing that she did was she ordered a bunch of lime, and cleaned the whole place. Martin Luther didn't tell her to clean. It. And when I say the whole place, guys, I'm talking about a, an abandoned convent with 80 rooms in it. That's what she did. She worked tirelessly. They worked together. They had six children. And then they had two other children, the nieces, uh, niece and a nephew that they, they took in. It was a perfect marriage that everybody looked up to. And and it really was. It really was. And rem- remember, the, Martin Luther was a guy that said that, said that, um, that the, the Catholic Church was against him. He said that the priest should be married. So the Catholic Church passed out, sent out rumors saying that Catherine was pregnant when they got married, all kinds of horrible stuff. Um, Henry, the, King Henry VIII or something like that, he's, he spoke out against them too? Yeah. huh. Eighth? Okay, he's the one that had all these, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one to talk about it. But let me, let me just read you something that, that uh, Martin Luther said. This is great. He said, this comes from the book called Legacies of Light. If you guys ever want to get this book. Uh, Yeah, Lon, do you know about this book? Lon gave it to my wife. She never read it, but I read it. Uh, (laughs) He said, this is what he said. He said, basically, he believed that the marriage didn't work because, that the marriage worked not because they were compatible, because they were committed. In a marriage, it's not about compatibility. Compatibility. It's about commitment. My wife and I, you know, if you look at my wife and I, one of of us loves ESPN and sports shows and all that. The other one loves those sappy Hallmark movies, and I do not apologize for that. It's it's true. It's true. My wife comes home from work, and she's watching, what's the name of that? Pardon the interruption. She's catching up on all of the, like, weird. But this is what Luther Luther said. Luther admitted the revelation of his selfishness after marrying Katharina, writing, good Lord, what a lot of trouble there is in marriage. Adam has made a mess of our nature. Marriage is evidently the school for character development. Praise God. You ask for a wife and you get the Holy Spirit. That's my. Uh, And this guy says, that's true to this day. Marriage has the potential to reveal the worst about us and the best about us sometimes in the same afternoon. Um, marriage and family were the training grounds of virtue. Marriage demands humility, change, and partnership. Marriage is the greatest uh, the greatest thing that I have ever experienced. It really is. And it changes. Uh, somebody, somebody said, uh, my wife has been married to five men and all five have been me. We change, guys. We change. Um, I'm telling you, I got so much here, but l- let me let me digress a little bit. Um, that was Katharina, my my hero. You, it's not a milk toast wife. It was a, she was unbelievable. It, you need to read about her. But I have two concerns. I'm gonna jump over to something. I have two concerns uh, with uh, with marriage, the state of marriage, the state of the church. Uh, one of them is that because of our marriages. What example are we setting to the world? It's really important that we realize that. You don't marry in a vacuum as a Christian. you marry into a uh, you marry into a community, basically. and every what you do with your marriage, it echoes into the halls of of eternity. It affects everybody. Can you imagine walking in here one Sunday and and hearing that my wife and I are going to get a divorce? Do you realize what that what impact that would have on the church? Do you realize what impact it will have on people's minds thinking, Well, you know, if they get divorced, you know, I guess it's about commitment, people. It's about commitment. I love my wife more than I've ever loved her because we've grown into it. I heard a guy, and the lax attitude that we have for the things of God bother the heck out of me. Uh, We are to fear God. You guys read the Old Testament? This this is what he says. Look what he says here in Ezekiel 36.20. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. He's talking about the Israelites. And the world said, These are the Lord's people, and they had to leave his land. The world is looking at the church and saying, Hey, what's the difference? The divorce rate is the same in the church as it is outside the church. Every time that something like that happens, we are hurting the church. We are hurting the church. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God doesn't forgive. But as Paul said, wherever you are, in whatever lot you are, make the best of it. Do what God tells you to do. And we're hurting, hurting the church by living lackadaisical lives in our marriages and in everything else. The second thing that I, and this is a concern of mine because I have a passion for men, right? My concern is if marriages don't work, I'm just throwing this out, you know. Uh, not, I would think that 90% of the problem is in the men. And you say, how, you got any stats for that? I'm glad you asked. I got stats. Do you know that any given Sunday, six, the composition in a church, 61% female, 39% men. Midweek services or any, you know, community groups, 80% women, 20% men. Less than 10% of the churches are able to maintain a men's ministry. Less than 10%. But the one that's really fascinating to me is this. Besides the fact that 93% of men in jail are, um, this is a little side note, 93% of the men Uh, 93% of the people in prison are are males. 85% of those came from fatherless homes. Chew on that for a little while. But this is what's fascinating to me. They did a study and they found that women that come to Christ and go to church, 17% of those bring their families. Men that give their lives to Christ and come to church... 93% of those are followed by their families. Do you see the impact? man? we've got to make a change. Uh, One of the things, another thing that bothers me is to hear that there is a woman, a wife, that has greater zeal for the word of God than her Christian husband. That has greater zeal for the things of God than her husband. Men should at least be equal to their wives in zeal in, for the word. But yet it's so difficult to get men to read the word, to follow after God as if they're self-sufficient. That's not who we are, man. We have been called of God. There's a calling on our lives, and we need to answer it. And let me finish with this. And believe me, I have so much more, but I don't want to run over too much. The world is watching. The world is watching your conduct. The world is watching what you do. The way you treat your wife. Women, be praying for your husbands. Please, we need it. We need it. We're, we're so bad. Uh, let me have the band come up. Yes, I, I've always wanted to say that. Uh, you know. Um, marriage, remember this, marriage is a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. What are we telling the world? What are we telling the world? You owe a great marriage to your Savior. The world is watching. But more importantly, God is watching. If you guys, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. But if you guys want to hang out afterwards and ask me questions or talk to me, I'm not, you know, believe me, I'm not, a, I'm not perfect, contrary to what my wife will tell you. Um, but I'm here to help. I'm here to give you my experience. I'm here to tell you about the, what the Word of God says. And I would love to, to pray with you and talk to you afterwards after I've had a couple of breath mints. Um, God loves you, and he wants the best for you. But he's not afraid to discipline you if you're going the wrong way. And he will do it because he loves you. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your gift. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you would send your son to die, to shed, to shed his blood on the cross for us we didn't deserve it lord such a sacrificial love that the second person of the trinity would empty himself and give that for us lord help us to humble ourselves and to be submitted one to another lord help us lord as women to take that that role that has been given to to us to them and ask God to lead them to be the best that they can be in that particular role, Lord. And I ask for the men that they step up and they stand taller than ever by getting on our knees, Lord, and asking you to direct us, to lead us, Lord. Help us to be an example to the world. Help us to be an example to our children. Help us to be an example to the church, Lord as we follow after you. Lord, we love you and ask for your guidance, please, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit guide us daily, Lord. We love you and thank you, and I ask that those that are here this morning with a special need, a special hurt, Father, let your Holy Spirit begin to direct them and guide them, Lord, and remind them, Lord, that you love them, that you died for them, that you're ready to make them and create them for what you have called them to be, Lord. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen.